Well, good morning, everybody. You know, periodically, about annually or so, this phenomenon happens, and I always mess the word up, but it's called winter. So it's a little colder, a little rainier, and uh, I, I, Pastor Bill, I think we need like a long monitor where we can actually see the thumbnails of the people in their homes, because how many of you at home said, it's raining, I think I'll stay here? I, there's a lot of hands going up and a lot of uh, sullen faces now that we've found them out. But uh, if you're watching online, thank you for being here. We really are uh, happy to be able to gather as a family in multiple locations at times and uh, worship the Lord and uh, study the Word together. How many of you have ever been defrauded in some way, shape, or form? Backstabbed, lied to, robbed, <laughs> stolen from, generally betrayed, hurt? How many of you are harbor harboring those bitternesses even right now? <laughs> Even this very moment, there's hands all over this place. So all of you with your hands, come down. We're going to pray for you. And then we're going to turn to the book of Philemon, which is a book for all of us who have been broken in our relationship somehow. It's a book about reconciliation. And when I say the word Philemon, how many of you honestly, just be a moment, just be honest for, for one second. How many of you have never heard that name before? Good. How many of you have no idea where it is in the Bible? Good. How many are already there? Oh, the high achievers. Interesting. If you were with us last week, Pastor Bill started a series called Small Letters, Small Books, Small Books, Big Ideas. And uh, he set out to look at the five shortest books of the Bible, books that oftentimes you and I don't jump to. Uh, I have not heard many people quoting from Obadiah, which he covered last week. Very, very few people quote from Philemon. Some haven't even heard of it, and some have actually never seen it in the Bible. So uh, we're going to turn to the book of Philemon. I think it's on page 940 in that pew Bible in front of you. Uh, if you don't, don't feel shy about looking at the table of contents. There is one of those in the front of the Bible. But the book of Philemon is only 25 verses, very small, written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon who lived in Colossae. And it's a book about reconciliation. It's a small letter. It's actually a very personal letter. It's a, unusual in the New Testament letters because it's not, uh, it's not full of theological statements. It's not full of doctrinal teaching. It's very not typically Paul. Paul is very clear in his structure, typically in his letters, where he will lay out the doctrine at the beginning of the letter, and then he'll come back to some kind of practical application. There's none of that in this letter to Philemon, but it's a very personal it's a very powerful and it's a very, very relevant letter to us who have been hurt or who, for us who have been slighted in some way, shape, or form. So my prayer is that we will glean much from the writings of Paul in this teeny little letter called Philemon. Why don't we pray and then we'll read the letter in its entirety and then uh, we'll go from there. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thankful Thankful for the opportunity we have to worship. Thankful for a place to worship. Thank you, God, that we can gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to learn from your word, to celebrate you in song, and to enjoy the fellowship of the church. I thank you, Father, that you fill us with your spirit, that we might come and know the things that you've given to us. I thank you that you provided us your word that is living and active. It's sharper than anything else. It's able to divide right down to the very heart of who we are and reveal the truth of our spirits and our motives. 
I pray, God, that you would do that this morning. In fact, we welcome that this morning. I pray, Father, that your word and the spirit through it will speak very, very clearly to us so that if we are here today and need to learn about reconciliation, that you would open our eyes to that reality. We look forward to great things this morning, Lord, as we study. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Look with me at Philemon. I'm just going to read the entire letter. Man, I really wish I had a stunt double to read for me. I'll read myself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Oh, while I read, you have to think. And being that the series is called Big Ideas, you're going to think about what the big idea of the letter is as I read. Yes, Matthew, uh, you are here to think this morning. So I've started to burst your bubble. You actually have to engage this morning. So you think, I'll read. Hopefully God will be glorified through that. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Anaphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I love that. Have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, 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 sorry, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So as you think for a moment, before I tell you what the big idea is, think for a moment as to what you think the big idea might be. Might touch on themes of uh, close relationship. Paul mentions 11 names, 11 people, one being Jesus Christ, but 11 names in particular. It's intensely personal. If you've read anything of the Apostle Paul, this is much more personal than most of his letters. Granted, there are a lot of people involved in his letters, but this one's intensely personal. 
There's a lot of compassion. There's a lot of my brother. There's a lot of my beloved. Words like refreshed are in there. So maybe there's something about the relationship. What I think is the big idea is this, and I want to kind of chew on it together. Our reconciliation with God in Christ demands a generous and self-sacrificing reconciliation with others. Our reconciliation with God in Christ demands a generous and self-sacrificing reconciliation with others. And there are some of you that may say, I don't like the feel of this. I would prefer to leave right now. Paul wants you to listen because he models and teaches what reconciliation looks like and the reconciliation that is demanded upon us as believers. First, I want to just kind of look at Philemon flow, what the letter looks like at a large scale, and then we'll come back to this big idea and look at it in particular. If you look at the letter of Philemon, it's really in five sections. There's an opening and a closing. That's where he mentions the name, the names in the letter. And then there are three portions in the middle, one about Philemon, one about Onesimus, and one about Paul. What does Paul say about Philemon in his letter? If you notice or remember at the very beginning of the letter, he is very uh, appreciative. I thank my God for you always in my prayers, seeing that your love and your faith impact the lives of other people. And I read things like that for myself, and I say, how many people would say that about me, that my love, that my faith has impacted the lives of others? Paul goes on to pray and say, I pray that the sharing of your faith might be effective. I think that word is interesting. It might maybe be translated also useful. Remember that. We'll come back to that in a second. Effective in the growth of knowledge with regards to faith. All of these things Philemon has been doing very, very well. And Paul takes the time at the outset of this letter to encourage him in this. It seems evident that Philemon and Paul had had a previous relationship. Because this is a personal letter, it's written to a friend. We believe that Philemon probably was converted in, during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, now moved to Colossae, and seems to be uh, with maybe some other relatives, the host for the church that's in Colossae. We believe that this personal letter was actually delivered by Onesimus with the letter to the church at Colossae, we call Colossians. So in this sense, it's a personal letter to Philemon in tandem with one of, the, one of the greatest letters in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. But Paul writes to encourage Philemon, remind him about his Christian character, praise him for his Christian character, pray, him, pray for him that his ministry would be continually impacting the lives of others. And he uses this phrase that your work has already refreshed the hearts of others. I love that word refreshed. It means rest. It means refresh. It means relax. And I wonder if I bring a sense of refreshment to people. I wonder if you bring. Do you ever wonder that? Do you refresh the people around you? Philemon was one of these people that when he was in the room and when he was ministering to people, there was just a, I would rather be that kind of person than the person that brings like the, the pig pen crazy dust storm. You know, I don't want to be the person that, that brings the chaos, nor do I want to be the person that dumps my chaos on the people around me. Rather, I want to be someone in Christ who brings refreshment to the hearts of the people around me. Philemon was such a man that refreshed 
the hearts of the people around him. But what's interesting as we go into the second section on Onesimus, it's interesting that even though Philemon was a model in Christian growth and character and impact, he had this bitterness seed. And the bitterness seed was towards this gentleman we learn in the second section called Onesimus. Interestingly enough, Onesimus' name means useful. And as we look through the section on Onesimus, it seems evident that Onesimus was a slave or a servant of Philemon and had either robbed him, stolen something from him, mistreated him in some way, or abandoned his job, one of the, one of the handful of those things. But no matter what the cause was behind it, Philemon was bitter towards Onesimus. And this, this bitterness was building to the point where Paul knew this about Philemon, and when he meets Onesimus, immediately starts pushing him to reconcile. I love that name, Onesimus, useful. What I like about this story so much is that Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome, possibly in Ephesus, and he just happens upon this man, Onesimus, who he finds out is a slave of Philemon, and he said, hey, I know Philemon. Have you ever been in one of those situations where it's just kind of a strangely coincidental interaction where you meet someone who knows someone who knows someone and you happen to find that you're kind of in the same fellowship pool? This is what's happening here. Paul is in prison and lo and behold, Onesimus shows up. Paul in the interaction with Onesimus ends up leading him to Christ. And now this wayward servant of his friend Philemon is now his spiritual child in the faith. And I think what an interesting happenstance, that Onesimus would show up and Paul would be able to bring the two together. And I think, what other situations in the Bible have individuals in prison fallen into the right place at the right time only to bring about reconciliation in the end? The greatest example I can think of is the life of Joseph, where Joseph in jail happens to work through a series of interesting little situations to land himself at the very top of the heap in Egypt. And that day, his family comes in and sees uh, for mercy, right? And they don't know it's him, and he doesn't know it's, or he sees that it's them. And there's this whole story of reconciliation. Interesting, both happen in prison. Both happen with unusual coincidental interactions. Both of them end up with reconciliation and peace. So maybe the next time you're in prison, you should consider reconciliation. (laughs) Onesimus, useful, servant of Philemon, brother of Philemon. Son, spiritually speaking, of Paul. Now a child of God, now a brother in Christ. Paul refers to Onesimus in this middle section as my heart. Paul says, I am sending my heart to you. I would rather keep him to myself because it's better for me in my imprisonment. But he says, I'm not going to do that because he's yours. And I want you to feel the responsibility of putting things right back together. Philemon, Onesimus, Paul. Paul comes back to himself, and this is for you salespeople, this is Paul's ask. And Paul's ask is, receive him as you would receive me. In the same way, Philemon, my brother in Christ, that you would receive me when I come, receive this one. Now remember, Onesimus is most likely the deliverer of this message, right? So, at one point in time, Philemon sees the tent, the, the curtain or the door, or however they opened their dwelling places back then. Doors open, Onesimus steps in, Philemon locks eyes, wants to beat the tar out of him for his abandonment or whatever he did. Onesimus maybe 
can you read this first? Gives him a letter of Colossians, gives him this letter, and Philemon is now reading this about the man possibly standing in front of him. Receive him as you would receive me. And Philemon, as you think about this man that betrayed you, everything that he owes you, everything that he has to do to pay you, pay you back for the wrong, put all of that on me. I will gladly pay it all. And then pay, maybe my favorite phrase in the entire letter, Paul says, Philemon, don't forget that you owe me your soul. A little, to get that in there. Paul is very, very clear that reconciliation, forgiveness, forgiving of debts, letting things go, unity, bringing back the, 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 the common bond that was there, that's the goal. And Paul goes back to this phrase. He says, oh, Philemon, refresh my heart. Refresh my heart by forgiving our brother, by washing away or moving away or taking away his, his, whatever it is that he owes you. What an incredibly powerful example. The letter begins with people. It ends with people. In the middle are just three powerful sections about the, the different characters in this particular story of reconciliation. So going back to the big idea, our reconciliation with God in Christ demands a generous and self-sacrificing reconciliation with others. Let me show you where I see this. First, in this first phrase, our reconciliation with God. Paul starts, begin, he begins, he in the middle, and then he ends, he ends with Christ. He starts with Philemon's responsibility as a servant of Christ. He talks about himself being a prisoner of Christ. He talks about the brotherhood in Christ. He talks about the fact that their faith in Christ is what motivates them. He praises Philemon for his faith. I think what Paul is doing here is showing Philemon that his relationship with God is the foundation, it's the motivation that pushes through this process of reconciliation with, Philemon, with, with Onesimus. And it's really the reconciliation with God and Christ that makes all of this possible. And when we think about our stories and we think about God's story in time, we cannot not talk about our reconciliation with the Father. The gospel message is a message of reconciliation. It's a message of going from alienation to reconciliation, from distance to closeness, to blocked access to access, from not being able to be near God to being able to be intimate with God. None of us remember the day, but there was a day that Adam and Eve walked openly and without shame in the presence of the maker. What an incredible experience to walk without shame, without guilt, without having to hide anything, without any sense of remorse, without any sense of anything that you and I live with on a regular basis. And they could just walk in fellowship. But once they fell, once humanity fell, that open access to God, that open shameless living in the sense of being without shame before the Father, that went bye-bye. And now we're in a constant state of trying to be right with him again, wondering what we need to do, wondering how. But the Lord Jesus came that you and I who are once distanced might be brought near so that, that that angst, that struggle, that frustration, that whatever that is that drives us to try to be more godly without him, Christ made that possible so that many, many things are true of us. But three I want to focus on this morning. One, we have peace. 
The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter, four, or Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this faith, faith in which we stand, and we, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love that passage. Therefore, having been justified, therefore having been right with God, made right with God through Christ, we have peace. And that experience that Paul, I think, talks about when he says, uh, you've, you've refreshed the souls, I think that, sense, that state of being at peace with the Father is that same sense of, I can just be with God. And now I can live. Not that I'm sitting dormant, but I'm in a place where I now can live without any of the baggage. We have peace with God. We also have nearness with God. Turn with me real quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Ephesians is a fantastic book. In some, well, if you read Colossians and Ephesians together, they're parallel books. Very, very similar. Overlapping in theme. Ephesus and Colossae were almost sister cities. That's why some people think that maybe Onesimus fled Colossae to Ephesus, where Paul may have been imprisoned. The two are parallel letters. Now we have Philemon written into the middle of that same context. Paul writes in chapter 2 of, of Ephesians. Let's start in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Summary, life was bad when you were disconnected from God in every way, shape, or form. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been what? Brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? He's our peace who made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He preached peace to those who are far off and those who are near. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross put us in a place that we are reconciled with God now. And because of that, we have peace. We have nearness and we have access. And we know that the nearness of God is our good. And because and if we are reconciled with God, we can then be in a place to reconcile with others. This, this key word in the middle, though, is interesting. Demands. Some of you may say, well, Matthew, it's a little bit harsh, isn't it? Is demands really the word? Is it not that if we're reconciled with God in Christ, it's a, it's a good suggestion for us to be right with other people? Because, you know, you want to be a friendly neighbor. You want to, you know, make amends. You don't want to leave any weirdness in the air when you walk in the room with someone you don't like. Demands. Paul uses some interesting words. He says, I could command you, but I want to appeal to you. He says, I'm trusting that you're going to obey me. I'm trusting that you're going to do what's right and maybe even beyond that because I know your character. 
And even though I could appeal to you, I'm going to lay this heavy weight upon you so that you might do what is required. I don't know, to me, those are really heavy verbs, heavy words, heavy ideas. And if you are a follower of Christ here this morning, you do not have an option in following Jesus. There is a demand upon your life. You have been bought with a price, therefore you will glorify God with your body. So there is a demand on your life, if you're a follower of Christ, to actually follow Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ reconciled. Christ reconciled. His ministry was a ministry of reconciliation, and it's a ministry that he has given to us. Reconciliation with God in Christ demands a generous and a self-sacrificing reconciliation with others. The Apostle Paul models this for us in, uh, in a great way in this story. Paul could have met Onesimus, and he could have said, wow, I know Philemon, you really need to make this right. Go take care of that. He could have just sent him away without any more involvement. But I see and hear that Paul is committed to reconciliation. Paul is committed to making things right, particularly right, between brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the lesson for us as Christians is that we ought to be reconciled to each other at all times. There ought not to be divisions, bitternesses, angers, frustrations, fights, conflicts, battles. There ought not to be those between us. Well, you say, Matthew, that's impossible because I don't like them. It doesn't matter if you like or not. The demand is that we are reconcilers. That's what we do. So we will reconcile with others. And, and the challenge is how to do that. But we ought to be motivated by Paul's model here that reconciliation is the norm. It is the command. Paul does not just say, Onesimus, you really should make this right. Go take care of it. He says, Onesimus, sit tight. Let me write a letter. I'd like you to stay, but we need to make this right. And Paul writes a letter, and he says, I would like, I am sacrificing myself, Philemon, by sending Onesimus to you because he has refreshed my heart, but I am going to let that go. I'm going to set that aside so that I can give him back to you. It's the sacrificial nature of that. Paul goes on to say, if there's anything that this guy has done to you that has cost you anything, we don't have no idea what price tag we're talking about here. But Paul says, whatever it is, charge it to me. I'm writing this with my own hand. I am verifying the fact that I will follow through on this commitment to sacrifice my own financial comfort for the sake of this reconciliation. Paul is generous. Paul is self-sacrificing in his uh, push for reconciliation. Paul is not involved in the reconciliation in the sense that Philemon didn't wrong Paul. Paul didn't wrong Philemon. Paul is uh, enabling. He is laying down the framework for the reconciliation that needs to happen between Onesimus and Philemon. But he doesn't leave it there. He jumps in and says, I'm going to put myself on the line for the sake of this work. I don't know how many situations you've been in this morning, this week, this month, this year where either you know you're not right with somebody or you know they're not right with each other. Anybody been in a situation like that recently? 
where you feel it. You walk into the room and you're just like, something is not right here. Maybe it's a person you don't want to see. Maybe think for a second, who is that person in your life right now that you don't want to see? Maybe a past, present, maybe someone you just saw this week, maybe someone you just met, someone who is your closest and dearest friend. Who is that person that you don't want to be with right now? Paul models for us the fact that you and I have a responsibility to step into that relationship, however messy it is, and drive towards reconciliation, no matter how ugly the process might be or how painful. Remember, we are peacemakers, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. We're not peacekeepers. We're not conflict avoiders. We are peacemakers. To me, that gives a sense of responsibility for us, to us as brothers and sisters, that we ought to look for opportunities and then attack the opportunities to bring about reconciliation, to not avoid conflict, but to diminish it and resolve it the best that we can, whether we're involved or we're secondary to it. Paul says in in Romans that as far as it depends on me, live peaceably. I love going into conflict and saying, I am not responsible. (laughs) It's not my fault. You totally can take care of this. Or he's the bad guy, and if he would just come to me. Apostle Paul didn't say to Philemon, you know, just wait until Onesimus comes. He's got this whole apology worked out, so just let him kind of get through it. No, Paul is pushing reconciliation out. And I think we need to, as far as it depends on us, we need to step into those moments of of conflict to, to bring about reconciliation. In fact, it's our responsibility. Not only are we peacemakers, but we're also forgivers. Sometimes you have been wronged, and you need to forgive. Sometimes you need to forgive, not because they've come and made a really genuine apology, but you need to forgive because you need to forgive. You need to figure out a way to forgive, and sometimes it's forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Sometimes forgiveness is not forgetting. Sometimes it's forgiveness now and then choosing to forgive again next time you remember. And you do that over and over and over again. I think I've talked to you about that before. We are peacemakers, we are forgivers, and we are turn the other cheekers. We are people who are not so quick to defend ourselves so harshly that we have to make them pay for the bad thing they did for us or to us. I think these are important principles for us. The other one that came on that's not in the slide is we are ambassadors. Take some time later to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Apostle Paul talks about our relationship with the Father uh, as ambassadors of his. We have been reconciled with him. Now we have been made ministers of reconciliation so that we might reconcile others to him in that we are ambassadors for reconciliation. We are peacemakers. We are forgivers. We are turn the other cheekers. We are ambassadors. And so just as we wrap up here, I want to think about Paul's reconciliation plan, things we just need to chew on coming out of this letter. I encourage you to read it and reread it and reread it and reread it. Philemon is a fantastic little letter, small book, big idea. But three things I want to chew on as we leave. First, I think we need to be alert to the need to be reconciled and to lead reconciliation. 
I think we have two responsibilities. In our lives, we need to be the people who are reconciling with the people around us. We also need to be the people who are looking for others to be reconciled, and we need to facilitate that as much as possible. So how can you go about your day being aware of these situations? What is it in your life that's going to cause you to be alert to the need and the opportunities to reconcile? I don't think Paul was sitting in prison saying, man, I really wish that scumbag that left Philemon would just pop in my prison cell so that I could, the opportunity popped up right there. Oh, oh you're Onesimus. Oh, I heard about you because I know Philemon and I know the situation and you need to, we, need, we need to reconcile this. We need to look for opportunities to be reconcilers for others and we need to make sure we are being reconciled with the people that have wronged us or whom we've wronged. I think that's what Paul models for us. Second, I think we need to create the path for reconciliation at times. It's not just a matter of saying, hey, you need to go make that right. It's not always about sitting your children in the other room saying, you know, work it out and come out when you're done. Sometimes it's constructing a path for them. Paul said, this is what's going to happen. He's going to come to you. Philemon, you're going to receive him as you receive me. If he owes you anything, charge it to me because I'm going to pay for it. Why? Because... Your, your reconciliation is more important than my comfort. And I think sometimes we need to do that in our lives where we are building the path for reconciliation for others. And maybe it's being creative to build a path for ourselves so that we can make things right eventually. Now, it may sound like I'm thinking there's this magic wand of reconciliation that you can just go poof and reconciliation happens. Reconciliation is grueling. It's painful. Self-sacrificing hurts. It hurts me, it hurts them. Being generous with myself is a sacrifice. But I think the responsibility still rests there. So how do we make that work in our lives? Be alert to opportunities. Create a path for reconciliation. And be willing to lose in order to gain reconciliation. Be willing to lose in order to gain. It is a joy to see brothers and sisters living in fellowship. It is God's design for us to be brothers and sisters who live in fellowship. It is not God's design for us to be in conflict. It's not God's design for us to be at tension or odds. When we as a church are fellowshipping in a God-honoring and glorifying way, the Father's creativity is praised, and that's what we're shooting for. The big idea our reconciliation with God in Christ demands a generous and self-sacrificing reconciliation with others. Let's pray. God, we could keep dwelling on the details as we dig down layer and layer even in our, ho- our own hearts and minds, Father. There are people, there are names, there are faces It may be the person literally sitting next to us right now, or it may be a a name that came to my mind 20 minutes ago. But God, each of us potentially has somebody somewhere that we know right now we need to reconcile. And I pray, Father, that we would, one, feel the weight of that responsibility. And two, Father, I pray that you'd give us not only the motivation, but also the ability through your spirit, to bring about reconciliation. I pray that you would surround us with others that can help us through this process. I pray, Father, that we would be a church that would be a model for reconciliation, 
not just among ourselves, but also to the community. We pray, Father, that you would go before us in this, that your name might be praised above all things. And God, we want to experience your oneness here on earth with us in this community. And I pray that you would help us learn to do this because reconciliation is a big piece of the puzzle. We pray that you'd be honored in us. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.